Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and what a joy it is to be joined today by my friend Melissa Broder, who is the author of the novels Milkfed and the Pisces, the essay collection So Sad Today, and four poetry collections, selections from which are included in her new collection, Super Doom. She's the winner of a Pushcart Prize for Poetry, and she lives in Los Angeles, and it's so wonderful to see you, Melissa. It's fabulous to see you, Maris. Thank you. And, and thank you to Pickle for, for also taking part in this. Yes, the real star. The real star. Melissa, I, I feel like, so I've, I, much like probably everyone, I've read your poetry in chunks. And so I've never been able to read the whole thing as a cohesive experience. And then when you combine that with the idea that you've put out three books of prose. I I've never felt that poetry and prose has felt more cohesive. Like you can look at all of these things and know that they were written by the same person. Tell me about that. Well, okay, so I, when I looked back, like when I was choosing the poems for Superdoom, because Superdoom is like a best of, right? It's like Fleetwood Mac's greatest hits kind mm -hmm. of a thing. And um, so it's three books that are out of print and then one book that's still in print, kind of the best of those guys. And um, when I looked back, I was actually surprised at how many of the themes that were even in like uh, my newest novel, Milkfed, showed up. Like there's a mikvah, the Jewish ritual bath. I did not, I like remembered a lot of my, older poetry having like Catholic imagery because that was just a fascination of mind, mine. And, um, but it's been Jewy all along. I, I didn't quite realize. Um, I mean, you know, Jesus, you know, he, 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 he counts. Was, yeah, like we could have gone to Hebrew school together, but um, you know, so, but there was that element and also just milk. And um, I think that, you know, I guess writers write their obsessions mm -hmm. and um, I guess my obsessions are my obsessions for the long haul. And I'm quoting you to you, but in the introduction uh, to the poetry collection, you, you write what they are and it's, it's yes, sex, death, consumption, God, spiritual longing, earthly longing, holes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the, uh, the attempt to fill the spiritual hole with the outside stuff, whatever it is, it can be tangible, it can be intangible. Um, you know, it can be humans, it can be things, it can be um, achievement, but ultimately the not enoughness of that, right? Like that stuff only makes the hole bigger. But so it's like, for me, like, I think, um, well, I would say my like, uh, spirituality is definitely one of remembering because I like forget that every day I have to like re-remember every day you know and I think like writing is a way of um well it's one of the things that I do to like kind of to make peace with the fact that like fantasy isn't reality which really annoys me and also you know to kind of grapple with like that there is this hole within um, and that there really isn't, there's really nothing you can stick in there that's, that's going to last. I imagine that there are going to be people who are coming to Super Doom who aren't familiar with your poetry, but who've become fans of yours through 
um, so sad today, your, your Twitter presence and essay collection and um, through your novels, Milk Fed and Pis the Pisces. And I think that reading the novels is such an excellent background to have, it, even though you wrote them after, that they kind of put everything in context. And especially that if, if you had to ask me what Milk Fed is about, it, it is in fact about, I mean, it's, it's, it's filling the holes with, with food and sex and want, but as the, the Pisces is about filling it with new age tchotchkes and drugs and mermandic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just never enough mermandic. You know what it, I'm saying? Once you get some, that hole's going to open up. One mermandic is too many and a thousand are never enough. You know? <laughs> Talk to me about, uh, in the intro to Superdoom, you talk about quote unquote, understanding your poetry and um, how much a reader is expected to get it or not get it and um, why ambiguity is, is your friend. Yeah, so, um, well, there's a lot, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I guess primarily, um, you know, one thing that I really love about, about poetry is the room for mystery, the room for the braid or the weave or the unknowing. Um, and um, I feel like, you know, certitude, seems very trendy to me nowadays. I think probably certitude has always been trendy, but in my perception, it feels more um, hot right now, you know, the hot certitude. And what I love about poetry is that it's an area, it's like a realm for not knowing. And, um, and the experience of writing a poem, like it can leave us it can leave us with a question. The question can be, you know, I mean, it's the Rilke thing, right? Like learn to love the questions, right? Mm -hmm. Like living in the questions. And, um, and so, and it's, and it's a space for that. So that is, so in terms of understanding one's own poetry or understanding someone else's poetry, you know, there's a lot of times I'm writing and this can happen in prose too, where I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that I saw it that way, felt that way. Um, but sometimes, um, you know, and I think same with, and, and regarding like experiencing for other people's poetry, it's really, it was really freeing to me when I kind of, I don't know when it dawned on me that like poetry doesn't necessarily have to be understood. It's to be experienced. And there are different ways of understanding things, right? Like we don't just understand intellectually, like we can understand with the heart or we can understand, um, you know, through desire or, I mean, there's like probably infinite ways of understanding things. Um, and so one of those is to just experience, right? And to have and to have a sensation or a transformation. And, um, you know, that is what I love about poetry that, um, that you're not forced to come to like an intellectual or a real, like a resolution, right? And often like some of my favorite, like some of the best poems, like, when you get to the end, it kind of launches you back to the beginning, you know, in a way, or it's a springboard into some, into other questions. The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again. But after this past year, getting back to feeling normal takes time. As much as I've loved seeing friends and colleagues IRL again, 
with that excitement comes a good deal of dread. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always offer the advice we need. Getting unbiased feedback and advice from a licensed professional can be refreshing and actually rewarding. More than 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes, and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. Talkspace works around your schedule at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app and schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapist from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue with thousands of licensed therapists available to match with you. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties. Start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code MARISREVIEW. That's $100 off when you use code MARISREVIEW at Talkspace.com. I was trying to remember, and I can't, um, being taught about poetry as a kid or a young adult. And my hypothesis is that we were taught that there was a certain interpretation that one should have, that one should take away a specific idea from reading a poem. And um, that seems not quite right. Well, it's it's definitely one way of looking sure. at literature. Um, to me, a strong poem will create a world and teach you how to live in that world, but not, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, there is like, when editing a poem, I'm like, is this true? But my, the word true is not about a reality truth. It's about a bones truth, right? Like through the language, is this really the word? You know, or am I just trying to make something fit? And when everything gets quiet, when nothing sticks out to me as untrue, but again, bones truth, right? Not mm -hmm. yeah. reality truth. Then I feel that a poem is complete. And I think, um, you know, and so to me, a, a strong poem, um, you know, the world can be a different experience for everyone, but it sort of teaches you how to inhabit that world and then sets you free in that world, right? And so um yeah i love that um and usually i would stay away from process questions but again in your intro you um mentioned that there are different modes of transportation that um enabled you to write different forms write in different forms so tell me about that a little bit yeah, so um, I lived in New York till 2013, um, and from 2003 to 2013. And um, I, um, I wrote poetry the whole time that I lived there, except for the very beginning, because I got sober and I wasn't even sure if I was gonna write after I got sober, because I thought that I maybe needed like drugs and alcohol to um, 
I don't know. I, I was very much under the impression of, I was, I was like very corny, like Jim Morrison really knew what was going on. I mean, I was like a baby, you know, I was like in my early, I was in my early twenties and just like, um, but so, and so after I got sober, I took like a year off writing um, and then it re-entered very slowly and um, started writing poetry when I was, uh, I was 25 and started writing poetry again. And um, I used to write a lot on the subway um, and I like to write, I don't write at a desk. I like to write my first drafts, especially in places that I'm not supposed to be writing. Um, and I really love writing in motion and kind of disappearing because it just, it's a way of dismantling the perfectionist. Like if I'm at a place where I'm supposed to be writing, then, then it's like, there's too much pressure, right. To be perfect. But if it's like where I'm not supposed to be writing, then it, um, it feels freer. So um, I would always write my poems on the subway and do a lot of editing on the subway too. And when I moved to Los Angeles in 2013, um, I could no longer write in transit because I was driving. And that is not recommended to be uh, doing <laughs> iambic pentameter, typing typing out iambic pentameter uh, while you are on the 405. So, um, so I began to dictate using Siri and a notes app, like a, a free app, simple note. I always give them a shout out. It's just a blank free app. Um, and what started happening was the line breaks um, um, disappeared and my language became more conversational because it was spoken. And that was how I ended up start. That's how I started writing prose. Um, so yeah, and and I really like it. I do all my first drafts that way now. Of, and of and your podcast. And my podcast, yes, my podcast, um, Eating Alone in My Car, which is just a, um, it's a crappy little ditty that I sort of <laughs> shoot off. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I was, um, yeah. And, and it's uh, no microphone, driving, uh, often eating like a big bite from 7-Eleven simultaneously. And that's what it is. Well, it is, it's a joy. And it, it really gets at um, what struck me most about milk fed, especially at the beginning, which is you know, for, for those who uh, need a refresher, this is your most previous novel. It was published in early 2020. Um, you, Sam Irby, <laughs> Um, has a blurb in which she says that Milkfed is so embarrassingly relatable. And yes, it was kind of like, how did you know what was going through my brain when I thought about food the most? Um, and, and, and one of those, one of the most important things is having a ritual around eating. And often that involves wanting to be alone, wanting to be in your car in a safe space where the, where you can do all of the things with food that you want to do, um, or Rachel might want to do as the narrator of Milk Fed is called. After well, me. I definitely, yes, that solitude component. Um, you know, there's this quote by Lenny Bruce that comes up often on my um, podcast, which is he said like, no one, ever see, no one ever sees the real you. The only time anyone ever sees the real you is when you drop a can of peaches 
on your kitchen floor and you're eating the canned peaches off the floor and someone like busts you. Um, that's when, that's like the only time we like expose our true, our real selves, right? And I think, um, you know, and in milk fed, um, there's, yeah, the, I, the, the ritualization of food, the solitude, um, Rachel's a woman who believes she has recovered from an eating disorder, but, um, you know, her, her food life is still, um, I guess her predominant, it's her religion. Yeah. It's it her, is religion. her religion. Um, and, and there, there are certain ways of, of going about doing things and there are certain, um, it reminded me of when, um, because we have we have very similar backgrounds, Melissa. <laughs> when Where I are you kid, from originally? I'm from New Jersey. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, I put Rachel in New Jersey. Are you from North Jersey? Central. Central. Okay. Yeah. Originally, Rachel was from Philadelphia, outside uh -huh. of Philly, where I'm from. And then I was like, let me just move her. So I put her um, <laughs> still in, in the tri-state area, but it's, it's, yes, exactly. Um. At the JCC summer camp where I was going, my friend Alana went to see a nutritionist and we were shocked to learn that Alana's nutritionist said that she should put a teaspoon of olive oil in her salad. This is in like 1994 and our, our minds were blown. And then also it, it was like the, the start of, oh, let's measure every single thing we put in our mouth and um, what could go wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think it's control, right? Especially I think, um, you know, adolescence, um, I mean, Rachel is no longer an adolescent, but she is still in adolescence in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and because she's trying to figure out sort of, well, what has she been fed? Like physically, mm -hmm. in a, physically, spiritually, emotionally, but um, which I think is something we ask ourselves throughout our lives and it shifts, but like, it's definitely a very, it, I feel like for me, adolescence was like the first time that I started to even like question, right? And so, um, but yeah, and so there's a lot that we're in adolescence we feel powerless over, and there's a lot beyond control, our one's control. And so the eating disorder, I think, can function as a religion in a sense that it's a way of making order. It's an illusion of control. Not that religions are an illusion. I, I really tend to believe as I believe that as we believe is. Um, but but um, but you know, but it is it is. A perspective and, and and an eating disorder is an illusion of control but it's um you know it's a way of compartmentalizing and um feeling like one has control over one's body which may feel out of control and you know um a world which we're ultimately pretty powerless over so um you know it's archetypal and there's rules and all those the things that we that we can find in religion Absolutely. And there's even, again, not, not as much in Judaism, but from, from what all of my Catholic friends tell me, 
there, there is also this very similar idea that pleasure is this slippery slope, that if you let a little bit in, that you're likely to just lose control forever. Definitely. And you can see that in, in Rachel and how, how frightened she is of, of that happening. I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, the appetites are inextricable from one another. Like, I think we're sort of, we can, well, I, I'll speak for myself, have at times viewed like, okay, my relationship with food is separate from my relationship with desire, is separate from my relationship with God or a higher power, is separate from my like familial yearning, you know, but actually like those, those are really false uh, compartmentalizations. It's all one thing, right? Like my relationship with, with food is my relationship with God is, you know, how much is how much pleasure do I believe I'm entitled to? How much love, you know? And so, um, yeah, so I think that um, it bleeds, baby. It sure does. Um, but I, I, I did feel like milk fed is, in my opinion, um, one of the most hopeful things you've written. <laughs> do, do you... Um, are, are you on that in that on that same wavelength or no yeah I mean you know I I'm not gonna I won't spoiler it I don't you know it's funny with self-love um I definitely have a love-hate relationship particularly with like the self-love industrial complex I think sometimes recovery or self-love can be presented as like a product or a destination mm -hmm. and I have yet to experience the arrival um, I've learned some things, you know, one thing I've learned is that um, I really, I, I sort of wanted self-love, like I want all love to be a feeling, and perhaps it is more of a verb. Um, I mean, I would love for it to be a feeling, but, um, you know, and maybe for some people it is, but, um, but yeah, I think that, um, so that, so the book definitely looks at like, well, how, how do you come to um, how do you start to find some peace with yourself, right? But knowing that like, there's not gonna be this arrival, like there's no pill. I wish it would be <laughs> great. Tried all the pills, yeah. I've done all the pills. Listen, <laughs> I've tried it all. Um, you know, and in the end it's, we're left with ourselves, right? And so, um, and so, yeah, it's, um, but yes, I would say that there is, there is some hope in there. And, and part of that springs from, you know, experiences I've had where um, I've been able to find that, that like, that milk of kindness within, you know, something to aspire to for sure. As an avid reader, I try to do my best to support the public humanities. That's why I hope you'll join me in attending Humanities New York's annual benefit event this year. Join New York Times number one bestselling author George Saunders in conversation with author and professor Imani Perry for Humanities New York's third annual History and the American Imagination Benefit. The live discussion will take place online on October 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Purchase your tickets at humanitiesny.org and use code MARISREVIEW for half off membership tickets. That's humanitiesny.org and code 
Marist Review. See you there. Melissa, I even, I loved that in the midst of all of these desires, um, Rachel becomes involved with a young woman named Miriam, who is an Orthodox Jew. And she's invited to Shabbat dinner, which is just this really decadent experience um, where she feels so welcome. And then there's this understanding. Rachel was aware of this long before it became a hot topic in 2021, I think, that um, the love of Israel is one of those loves for a lot of Jewish people. And what happens if the thing that you love is something that doesn't really exist? Right, so in Milkfed, Rachel, her grandparents, right? So she had these grandparents who, um, who were sort of the nurturing figures in her life. And it was the one area where she was given that sort of maternal experience of, um, you know, the ultimate embrace, the, the, the like the, the unconditional love, right? Unconditional love and they, and feet and they fed her. And so, um, so, and what she was taught by them um, about Israel um, is she, you know, she has to examine what she, so she begins to look at what she was fed by them, right? And, and so the milk and milk fed, the milk and milk fed is, it's so many things. It's, you know, it's the mother's milk. It's, um, it is, there's also like, you know, kosher dairy, right? It's pretty like literal and there's a lot of frozen yogurt in the book, but then it's also this idea of, um, she was kind of fed this vision of the land of milk and honey, um, you know, as this magical idyllic place. And, um, and she begins to question that. And so for her, it's very challenging when she, is welcomed into this Shabbat dinner. And she feels like, oh, my grandparents would be so happy I'm here. And then she sort of realizes that, um, you know, this idea of Israel as, as this idyllic, this idyllic vision is being perpetuated at this Shabbat dinner. You know, she feels this unconditional love there and this unconditional welcome, but then she has to start to look at like, well, but what if I wasn't Jewish? And you know, is there such a thing as unconditional or does all unconditional is, are there always some levels of conditions? Um, and that actually, a lot of those scenes were inspired by, um, so when I grew up, I was definitely more like Rachel than Miriam. Like I was more of a mall Jew than like a Talmud Jew, you know? No, like, bag Jew you mentioned in the book, which- Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like my synagogue, I didn't find a whole lot of spirituality there. Um, and it was fairly, it was fairly like secular and in some ways. And, um, but so, but we did an exchange program with, um, families in Borough Park where we went and stayed with oh, an wow. Orthodox family. Yeah. They actually didn't come to us cause we're like heathen, but, right. <laughs> um, but we went to them and, um, I was really scared to go. I was young. I was like maybe 11. Um, and I was really scared to go and I went and it was like this beautiful like really super welcoming experience and all like full of like love and and food and um warmth 
Um, but you know, I never sort of, I never really questioned, you know, I never asked questions at that age. It was just like, so interesting to me that I had enjoyed it so much. And, you know, looking back, I was able to look a little bit deeper and just say like, wow, I did feel so unconditionally welcomed, but like, it's weird. Like it, it's because I'm a Jewish person. And what does it, what does it mean? You know, I don't know. What does unconditional mean? Right. And what does blood mean? You know, what is like a mother's unconditional love for their child versus somebody else mean? And so. And um, without spoiling anything, um, it seems like Miriam doesn't want to test that notion at all. Yeah. So now we've got a lot of shows like unorthodox and they look at the orthodox community. And I think there can be some sort of um, valuing of like leaving, right? Or like there's a strength in, the, in women who leave. And with Miriam, so Miriam, um, well, Rachel views Miriam as very free because Miriam is free in a way that Rachel is not free, which is with food and her body. She's very exhausted, comfortable with her body and her appetites and really enjoys food. But Rachel comes to see that like Miriam isn't completely free. Um, but I, you know, and so Miriam's family um, would not encourage a, a relationship between the two of them. But I didn't, I didn't judge Miriam for, um, you know, I, I think that Miriam, like, I don't know that Miriam would be happy leaving her family, you know, mm. and um, we do have to make choices in life. Like, I don't think that one is necessarily preferable to the other I just think it's like where our values lie Miriam has a really good experience of family you know that's and that's rare we know yeah <laughs> um this has been so wonderful um be before I ask you for a book recommendation tell me a little bit about being a full-time writer um, because again, something you were very honest about in the intro to Super Doom is um, that poetry doesn't make it rain. Right. So um, yeah, I didn't become um, a, a full-time writer till a couple of years ago. And, um, and even so, you know, my books aren't the only thing that I do now as a writer. Like I do some screenwriting and I also write socks and dish towels for this company uh, based out of the Berkshires. Shout out Blue Q. They're like the best people ever. So I write um, dish towels and socks and like all kinds of stuff for them, which is like the best side hustle any girl could ever want or dream of. They were like a godsend. But, but, um, but I'd say I'm a full-time working writer because all those things are just writing. And, um, but for and, and it, but that did, that shift didn't really happen until a few years ago, actually. Um, and prior to that, and especially when I was a poet, um, I always had a day job, like always, always. Um, I worked as a publicist at Penguin Books. Mm -hmm. Before that, I mean, I did all kinds of stuff, like pizza delivery, starting with pizza delivery in college, best job ever, because you could like smoke cigarettes and be stoned like the whole time. <laughs> my Probably my favorite job ever and be like alone in your car. Um, yeah, and um, I was a canvasser for the Sierra Club, going door to door. I was a grill cook, so I've done all kinds of things. But um, but I'd say the longest running day job was I worked for ten years at Penguin as a publicist, and um, I really loved it. And uh, but yeah, no, it was um, because poetry. You know, you can't 
you cannot eat off of poetry. Maybe there are very, very few who are, but that, that, that seems right. Um, Melissa, this was so fun. Uh, before we go, tell me what books you'd like to recommend. Sure. So I recommend um, books I've read this year that I love, um, some by dead people, some by living. So I loved The Life of the Mind by Christine Smallwood. Um, I loved To the Friend Who Did Not Save My Life by Hervé Guiver. Um, I loved Hoarders by Kate Durbin. I'll give you like two more of my faves that I've read this year. Um, a Hundred Boyfriends by Brontes Purnell, loved it. And let's see, okay, I'm gonna throw out this one. Um, the Death of Ivan Ilyich, which Ooh. you've probably read, but you probably haven't read it since high school. I just, oh, I'm like, is there a need for any other book by Leo Tolstoy? Um, thank you for giving the author's name. Yes, by, <laughs> by an, a very, an unknown, yeah. unknown writer. Um, thanks so much, Melissa. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.